episode of the Here and Now podcast. It's all about me. As the centre of my universe, it's true. It is indeed all about me. But that is a very literal interpretation of life. It's almost so obvious that it doesn't need to be said. However, it is precisely my perception of that very obvious statement which determines just about everything that happens in my life. How I consider my own identity, its relevance and importance, will ultimately impact on my relationships with everyone and everything I interact with. It is therefore extremely important that I try to understand my perception of myself. Notice I didn't say understand myself, I said understand my perception of myself, because there are many selves. The one you see is not the one I see. I'm an evolving, changing being, and I can be a different me depending on the context. To my challenge is to try to understand how I perceive myself in all of its varied incarnations, how I project that self onto the world. I'm talking about my ego. The idea of the self is something which makes us unique as humans. Rather than respond to our environment solely on instinct and genetic programming, we have a sense of the self as an independent entity capable of making choices that will have an impact on the outcomes of life. If you are hungry, you can choose not to eat, If you are angry or upset, you can choose not to shout or cry or express your feelings to others. These choices stem from the fact that you are aware of yourself, aware of your existence as a thinking, feeling presence here in life. The notion of self has been interpreted by both philosophers and psychologists as far back as ancient Greece. Socrates, who is the old Greek guy with the beard, spoke of the purpose of philosophy as to know oneself. This take on it comes from the branch of philosophy known as metaphysics, which deals with first principles like time, being, and knowing. French philosopher René Descartes, who dropped the beard for flowing locks and a goatee, famously postulated cogito ergo sum, which is Latin for I think, therefore I am. The idea that the self is intrinsic to our humanity is fundamental to metaphysics. David Hume was a highly influential, clean-shaven philosopher who lived in the 18th century, and he proposed that the self is not really a constant, but a construct which varies over time, although we're hardly aware of that change. As far as you're concerned, you're the same person you were five years ago, more or less. But Hume argued that you were just a series of transient thoughts and feelings, what he called a bundle of perceptions. The self, according to Hume, is therefore not a representation of an actual personality with specific traits and characteristics. It is simply the state of awareness that we have of ourselves as being a unique entity that extends across time and exists in different places. It's here that the self begins to take on the notion of the ego. This contrasts with the Eastern religions which reject the notion of the self altogether. They argue the idea of the self that gives rise to our ego is the source of much of our troubles in life. It is the ego that makes us selfish and needy and narcissistic and greedy. The truth, according to some Eastern religions like Buddhism, say, is that there is no self, and to achieve a state of enlightenment and awareness of this fact through meditation is to achieve the state of nirvana. 
And then there's the psychoanalytic perspective of the ego, which was most famously postulated by the bald but bearded Sigmund Freud. Freud's definition of the ego is a bit complicated, but it considers three aspects of the self, the id, the superego, and the ego. Now the id, he theorised, is the primal self. It has no moral compass and just wants to plunder and pillage and fulfil its desires. While the superego holds that moral and ethical foundation, and it obeys societal norms which are instilled in it as children by our parents and other influential figures. And then the third aspect of the self is the ego. This is the rational, critical aspect of the self, and it mediates between the morality of the superego and the wrongs and uh, primal drives and instincts of the id. I told you it was complicated. So who would have thought that ego could be so complex and varied? And it's clear that we humans have spent literally centuries trying to understand our place in the universe and who we are. It seems, though, even now, as if we really have no idea. But there is another definition of ego, which is probably the most important one from an everyday life perspective, and it's really the one I'm most interested in thinking about here. I'm talking, of course, about the negative connotation, where ego is commensurate with hubris, arrogance, self-promotion, selfishness, narcissism, greed, and so on. We've all seen it, and we all have it within us to a certain extent. Despite the teachings of the Buddha, it is virtually impossible to detach from oneself completely and be unselfish. Anytime we feel offended, affronted, put out or perturbed, it's our ego that we are feeling. Someone or something has threatened our own perceived level of self-importance. Our ego's feathers are ruffled. We say, how dare that person cut me off? Don't they know who I am? I'm me. Whenever someone questions our judgment or a decision that we've made, when we make a mistake or are embarrassed or humiliated, it is our ego that is the source of our pain. Now, as much as I want to tell you to set aside your ego, I just think it's too much to ask of anyone. Our ego is just too intrinsic. We can't entirely suppress our sense of self, our ego which inhabits our being. And nor should we want to. Because if we lose our ego, we also lose our self-esteem, our confidence, self-respect and purpose. Without ego, why have discipline, goals or a direction in life? Why have any pride? Because it is our ego that experiences all of the things that we set out to do, and it's our ego that will take pride in achieving all of those things, including how we treat others. If we don't care about ourselves, then we fail to appreciate and live the fullest life we deserve. However, our ego may well be the most unattractive element of our personality if left to grow unchecked. When you are with other people, are you normally the one doing the talking? Do you often interrupt people and finish their sentences? Ask yourself, what are the things I'm good at, my strengths? Are they things like, I'm a good communicator, I'm a great negotiator, I can convince people to do things, I'm generous? If someone asked you what other people think of you, or how you perform at a certain task, do you give an answer? When something goes wrong, when you make a mistake, do you find reasons for why it happened? Do you blame others, or circumstances, or conditions over which you had no control? When things happen in your life, bad things, annoying things, frustrating things, do you say, why me? Do you sometimes say, knowing my luck? It'll probably happen to me. Do you see a pattern in all of these questions? 
They reflect the ego, in varying degrees, but they describe aspects of your personality which you may not even be aware of, but which project your ego onto others, where you put yourself ahead and make yourself the centre of the universe. I have a problem. It's actually an illness. It's called misophonia. And no, it's not a fear of Japanese food. I don't know why I have it, but I can remember having it at least since I was a teenager. You see, I can't stand the sound of people eating. I even hate the sound of hearing myself eating. Now, I'm not an overly quiet eater as far as I know, but I don't think I'm an especially noisy one either. And that's partly because I'm hyper aware of it. So I'm conscious about how I might sound and partly because I was taught to eat with my mouth closed. Now, a couple of years ago, researchers actually discovered some fundamental differences in the brains of the 20% or so people who suffer from the condition. Yes, it is a condition. It's basically that the connections from different regions of the brain, including the amygdala, which drives a lot of emotions, uh, with the prefrontal cortex, that's where we do a lot of our thinking, are thicker than those who don't suffer from it. Essentially, the PFC over-responds to certain sounds. Mike McRae is a writer at the popular science website Science Alert, and he says, Brain scans revealed a marked difference in the subject's neurology. In those with mesophonia, the triggering noise is correlated with increased activity in various regions of the brain. Now, the areas that manage this are responsible for a bunch of mediation tasks, including managing emotional experience. And they also play a role in integrating signals from the outside world with information inside the body. It was found that those with mesophonia not only had increased frontal lobe activity, but also in uh, the hippocampus and the amygdala. Now, measurements taken of these structures indicated that they had thicker insulating myelin sheaths, and the myelin sheath is an essential part of allowing neurons to communicate. It helps the nerves to carry messages. Now, taken together, all of this evidence suggests that those with misophonia have brains that struggle to control the spread of messages associated with certain sounds. There's just a, an overactivity of stimulation from it. So it really is a, a clinical issue. But unfortunately, there is no medicinal cure. So really, there's just one answer. To acknowledge that the problem is mine. How I interpret the behavior of other people when it has nothing to do with me is my problem and my problem alone. While my internal response is to think horrible thoughts about those people and rationalize my feelings as being caused by that person's behavior, chewing in this case, it's not rational at all. Can you see why I'm bringing this up in relation to ego? The only way I can manage my misophonia is to accept that it is my problem and then do my best to manage my emotions. Now that can be a real challenge, but if I can overcome my natural response or at least suppress it somewhat, then I'm going some way toward not only gaining more power over my mind and its thoughts, which can be useful in other situations, but also toward managing my own ego and its demand to have the whole world adapt to suit me. I can also employ some tactical solutions like listening to music or a podcast on my earbuds, or in some cases I might be able to move to another location. What I shouldn't do is stare at that person with an annoyed and disgusted look on my face because that person has no idea what's going on in my head, let alone an awareness that they're a noisy eater. And they might not even be that noisy, it's probably just that I am overly sensitive to it. Should the whole world have to change just because of me? Of course not. I need to pull my head in, accept that it is my problem, and deal with it. Unfortunately, I haven't done a very good job of that over the years, and I even once accused my wife of having thin cheeks, which she still vehemently denies. 
Now, we have carried out several measurements, and it turns out she doesn't, although I remain suspicious. But I am slowly learning to manage my ego and its relationship with this crippling disorder. So the message here is really quite simple. Check yourself. Use the positive aspects of your ego to turn your focus inward and ask yourself, how much do I let my ego dictate my behaviour? I spoke in episode 3 on happiness about Richard Carlson's tip to let other people be right most of the time. Winning in life is not winning an argument, winning something for yourself at someone else's expense, or being the top dog. Winning is acknowledging that there isn't even a competition going on. It's about keeping your mouth shut, your eyes and ears open, and being a compassionate, kind person. We all know or have known someone who people would say she wouldn't have a bad word to say about anyone. Those people invariably have their ego in check. They are humble and down to earth and they epitomise the qualities we should all strive to attain. We also all know someone who we find stifling, someone we might describe as hard work. Someone we might make excuses for because we know their ego seems to take up the empty space in a room. And if you don't know someone like that, it's probably you. Whatever your personality and natural disposition, we all have an ego and it does pop up from time to time. It's just something we have to manage. So whenever you feel that rising tide of anger or frustration when you think someone did something to you, take a moment, just detach and remember that it is your ego that is making you feel that way. Yes, it is probably their ego that's making you feel that way too, but you can't control that. You can only control yourself and your response. Now, you could say I like a challenge. As I moved to China, well Hong Kong at least, where there are slightly different table manners than I was brought up with, and chewing loudly is a national bloody pastime. But that's a great test of my ability to manage my own ego and to deal with my misophonia. And I'm trying. I really am. And I think I'm doing pretty well. But of course, that's my ego talking. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to keep up to date with all of the latest episodes. And if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon or leave a review at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or email the Here and Now at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>